0: This is the Ed Show. Welcome back to Max Out everybody. Today's program is going to be one that you're going to remember for a long time. I have a feeling about today based on our conversations off camera and the topics that we're going to cover today I think are going to resonate with so many of you so I'm really excited about today. The gentleman to my left played 13 years in the big leagues 242 career home runs in the major leagues in baseball means you could flat mash. Hit over 30 home runs a couple times in seasons. It's a guy that I watched when he played, and I wish I could hit like he did. So, <laughs> I uh, wish I could run like you did. Well, your hitting got you to be a millionaire. My running got me a podcast. So... <laughs> so so, but hey, as I'm sitting here, you're doing pretty well. We're man. doing all right. And today's going to be remarkable. So everybody, this gentleman to my left is Aubrey Huff. So Aubrey, thanks for being here, brother. Yes, thanks for
1: having me on, brother. And just show pleasure.
0: him this real quick. Flip that there. That's the World That's Series one. ring. Yes, sir. How about that? Is that beautiful?
1: 2012. I didn't want to wear my on 2010 one. It's a like little overkill to have two. two. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I know how that no. goes. Sure. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about how you build a World Series champion like yourself and but also, I wanna talk about how you build a life and how a man develops over time. The thing I love about Aubrey, and by the way, he's got a new podcast out you should check out, you should check his social media out. We'll talk about that in a little while too. He's a real vulnerable athlete. One of the things I admire about you is your your ability to be real. Most athletes sort of put a face on, everything's perfect, yeah. I'm a big leaguer, I'm Superman. And you're real about life, your struggles, maybe even demons, yeah. etc. But I wanna go back because I think everybody you know, would love to know a little bit about your childhood because I think it defined you. Yeah. You were six years old, and you lost your dad. Why don't you share with everybody the incident that took place with your father when you were a little yeah, boy? Yeah. So
1: I was six years old, and uh, we hard hitting right out of the gate. But mm. uh, so I was six years old, and I was watching the Transformers on my grandmother's couch. And at the time, my grandmother and we lived in Texas at the time, mm. around Arlington Stadium, and grew up a Texas Rangers fan. And my grandmother loved the Texas Rangers, mm. watched them every night, and. Uh, My mom was working at Winn-Dixie at the time, and my father was an electrician at a a local apartment complex. Mm. And one day, my mom comes running into the house, tears streaming down her face. Mm. I'm sitting there watching my Transformers, as I said, and everybody's crying. My grandma's crying, my grandpa's crying, Mm. my sister's four at the time, I'm six, and she comes up to me and everybody's circled around me. Mm. Your dad's been shot, Aubrey. He's not gonna come home, everybody's crying. He just got murdered in Abilene, Texas. Oh my gosh. And at the time, at six years old, you don't know how to take that. Oh my God! It it doesn't hit you, right? Mm. So you're kind of just in this shocked thing. You know, Mm. I I had no idea what to say. Mm. And all I did was continue watching the Transformers. Just completely shocked. Mm. It was one of those weird things, but- um, What was it like to watch your mom go through that? You know, it's weird because I I see her um, hurting the way she did. Mm. And I just, for whatever reason, in that moment, even at six years old, I put on this mask. Mm. this front, I didn't even cry. And it was weird, mm. you know? So uh, I felt that was very interesting. As I got older, and I look back at some of the issues I've had, mm. maybe it was something I didn't deal with as mm-hmm. I got older, but I have since become to deal with it. I can't even talk about this back in the day. Is that right? If I was to talk about this, I would lose my mind, freak out, and not even want to mm. talk about it. But uh, mm. I've come to terms with that now. And um, you know, so it's interesting, after my father had passed, mm-hmm. you know, I started getting into baseball a little bit more and more. And as a kid, I was starting to take to painting. I love to paint in acrylics and as I said, I love the Texas Rangers growing up and I I was starting to paint this Texas Rangers logo and it was on this canvas and my mom comes home one day after work and she goes, hey, I'm going to surprise you guys. I got two tickets or three tickets to the Texas Rangers baseball game. And I'm like, yeah, man, all right. So I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to take this canvas and I'm going to take it all the way to uh, the dugout here in batting practice, see if I can get some guys to sign it. And uh, at the time, my grandmother's favorite player was Jeff Houston of the Texas Rangers. A little shortstop, shortstop. didn't do much in the league, but she loved him. <laughs> and uh, we're at batting practice, and I'm holding this sign up as a kid, and Jeff Houston spots it. Comes right over, he goes, hey, son, you paint that? And I said, yeah, yeah, I painted that. And he goes, wow, it's amazing, here you go, buddy. You're my grandma's favorite player. <laughs> He's, oh, that's sweet, man. Hey, fellas, come here, come here. Wow. He got about 13 other Rangers wow. to come over and sign my um, painting. Rafael Palmeiro, Ruben Sierra, Juan Gonzalez, all these studs. Great players. Great players, right? Great. And these are the guys I idolized growing up. And as these men are mm. walking by in their uniform, as a kid with no father, I'm going, oh, wow. Oh, These are my idols. These mm. are my father figures, right? Mm. And it was in that moment, at that game, sitting there with my mom, I fell in love with baseball. Wow. And we get in the car that night. I don't remember who won the game, could Mm. care less. Mm. And we're driving home and I said, Mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And it was in that moment that I knew, like I knew, like I knew I was going to be a major league baseball player. Just knew it. And if you buy me a batting cage and a pitching machine, I'm going to make the major leagues. And one day I'm going to buy you a house and a car. (laughs) And my mom, with Win dixies salary, she's Mm. like, yeah, that's sweet, honey, as you would expect any mother would say. And um, you know, for for about three years, I begged and begged and begged. And she mm. saw me over those years from six years old to nine just take over be- loving baseball. I lived it, I breathed it, I was watching Sports Center mm. every night idolizing my favorite players, Ken Griffey Jr. watching his swing. Mm. I was up till two in the morning, she didn't even know i was watching these guys, right? Mm. I just lived baseball. And then it was Christmas of 2009, or I'm sorry, not 2009, I was nine years old. Yeah. And uh, my sister, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, and myself were opening Christmas presents. and. Every pres- present was open. There was nothing left of the tree. I had nothing, and I'm sitting there crying. <laughs> I've been a bad boy, right? Mm. And my grandpa's a Texas man, and he's like, you know what, get up, boy, get up, boy. <laughs> Puts a blindfold on me. My mom and my grandpa lead me outside to the backyard, mm. open up the blindfold, and there was that batting cage. Oh, With the pitch God. machine. And uh, as you can imagine, I hugged my grandma, I hugged my grandpa, yeah. and they constructed that on their own Built the, got the pipes up, dug the poles, the whole deal. I mean, on a Winn-Dixie salary, my grandpa chipped in a little bit, but uh, it was in that moment I made a dedication to myself. I promised myself I'm gonna hit 200 balls mm. every single day until I graduate high school, and I'm gonna make that promise to my mom come true to oh, buy that my house and car. Brother. So every day. I hit that baseball 200 times a day, and as I'm doing that, I'm visualizing myself hitting a game-winning World Series home run right down the right field line at Arlington Stadium as a kid. Come on. Yeah. And um, so I'm gonna I say that as I fast forward to 2010. Okay. Okay. I'm playing for the San Francisco Giants. We're playing. Guess who they're playing? Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers. In the ballpark in Arlington, we're up two games to one. It's game four. The score is nothing, nothing. In the top of the third inning, runner second. I step up. First pitch, cutting fastball off Tommy Hunter, hit the ball right down the right field Ooh. line, just like I envisioned all those times of my, as a kid. Okay, that's got be that's gotta be one of the greatest stories ever. It was I unbelievable. Mean, it's, it's, to me, it was in that moment where it was like the power of visualization, the power yeah. of, of, of making your dreams come reality. Mm-hmm. Now I think a lot of people, they think that, okay, I had this dream, but it didn't happen tomorrow. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. I want it to happen
0: next year. It took me years, that took 20 years to get to that moment. That's incredible. You know what I mean? So What's incredible to me too is, I want to stop there just for a second, because everyone's just heard that story. It's, that, that sounded like a movie. You just heard this, so your your dad is actually shot too, which we'll talk about in a minute here, with a 357, correct? Yes, sir. Your dad's shot, you're six years old, and a, he's a bystander trying to help somebody in a domestic issue. This man loses his father at six, nine pro- goes to the game, gets the batting cage, promises his mom he's going to buy her a house and a car if she'll get him the cage. I picture the guy hitting the 200 hacks a day. Yeah. That's what I think of because I played and there's people listening that are in sales that are making those calls. They're driving to their car right now on their fourth sales call or eighth sales call and it seems to add up to nothing. It seems to be making no progress. And Because I played ball, I'm just picturing this kid in the backyard hitting those 200 swings every day, day after day after day, to then have that vision to make it happen in the World Series is just bananas. I just, I think that's remarkable. Well,
1: the key is for me too, is I think in a lot of things in life, I mean, obviously I know you love what you do, that's why sure. you're successful at what you do, because yeah. you're helping people. And along the way, I playing baseball, I, I loved it, man. Yes. I don't think you can be successful in anything unless you love it. Mm. I mean, I got good buddies all over the place, they're doing jobs they hate, And, you know, Mm -hmm. making minimum wage and complaining all the time. But I'm I'm telling them, hey, man, you know, at some point, you got to
0: make a change. If you love something, you got to go for it. You may not be successful right out of the gate. you got to keep going. And the other thing is, even if you're making a lot of money out of it, but you hate it, if you're going to go, let's just be real, your work life is at least a third of your life, but probably it dominates more than half your thinking. So even if you're making money, but you hate what you're doing, It's pretty difficult to have a great life, spending a half or 30 year life doing something you hate. It's why it's so important to find, or eventually be able to transition into something that you love. And I'm just, what's fascinating to me about you, brother, is because you were a great player. You're humble about it, but you were a great player, particularly a great hitter. Like this dude could just flat, some dudes can hit. Something, Good thing I could hit because I didn't play defense very well. <laughs> you said that, I didn't. You didn't say, they didn't put a, a, a fielding net in your no, backyard. But if they you can a, get the DH job, that's right. the best job in the world. Best job in the world. But I've just pictured this guy. and it, I love hearing the story because I'd watch you hit. I'm like, all right, he's 6'4". He's built like a Greek god. That's why he can hit. But nah, had a batting cage, 200 of them, mm-hmm. keeping the promise to mom. That's just that's well, remarkable, that, that, I think what's
1: cool about that, too, is like I think when you're when you're out out there grinding every mm-hmm. single day, if it's just for you, Mm. you're going to give up on yourself because that's the way I look at it. Maybe not for a lot of people, but for me, it had to be selfless, right? Mm. And for me, that driving force is my mom, Mm. who was there for my sister and I, working that Wind dixie that double shift every day to to get us through. Growing up in a double-wide trailer in the trailer park in Texas, right? So, um, you know, knowing that she went through so much pain, that was my motivation every single day, Mm. mom, 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 right? And so. Um, I think if you have a, a powerful enough force behind you yeah. besides yourself, whether it's your faith, your family,
0: or whoever it is, that's going to drive you when things get really hard. Bro, that's beautiful. I, I, I'm so glad you shared this to start, like we got into something so magnificent because it's not also the defense, of the, you know, the events of our life don't define us, it's the meaning we take from these events, and so all of you probably had something in your childhood that shaped you that you're unconscious of, and that's the other thing I want to visit with you a little bit about. So. Man, I'm stuck on this, just picture of you rounding the bases, hitting this home run in the World Series that you dreamed all this right. time. is so beautiful, man. Well, it's, it's, it's cool.
1: interesting, because that's funny you brought that up. So as I'm rounding the bases during that home run, mm. I literally hit second base, and I happened to look up over the third base dugout at the second deck where my mom and, and sister and I sat when I, was nine, when I was six years old when she took me to that game, and when I hit, when I hit second base, I could see myself eating a hot dog, looking down at me doing that moment. And I almost, the next thing I knew, I was in the dugout, high-fiving my teammates. I had no idea. I kind of blacked out from second to home to all the way to the dugout. Hmm. It was one of those surreal moments where life just went full circle. To to realize the power of that, the grind of that batting cage and what I was able to accomplish for my mom. And which was interesting, you'll love this for what I was able to do with my mom. For those of you that are listening, hey, did you get her to that house and car? Yeah, right, that's the next question. uh, when I got my first big league deal with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in 2003, I signed for a three years, $15 million deal. And the first thing I did when I got that first check was, uh, hey mom, mm. let's, have a, let's have a son and uh, mom day. You know, mm. I'm gonna pick you up in the morning, we gonna have a great day. Mm. I had this all planned out already. She had no idea what was going on. Mm. So I picked her up for breakfast and uh, so I'm, she's like, what are you gonna do? I'm like, I don't know, let's, let's go drive around. I pulled up into, since so she's a redneck woman from Texas, mm. we pulled into a Dodge dealership and mm-hmm. I said, choose.
0: Ah, choose,
1: choose, so she chose a, uh, a Dodge Ram pickup truck. Mm. And uh, she, as we're signing the papers, you could see tears streaming down so and at the good. moment. I was still kind of happy. I wanted to cry, but I didn't quite <laughs> this next one will It mm. made me cry. So I was like, all right, mom, she's getting her truck. It's not the final surprise. Why don't you follow me? So we hopped in my truck and I'd had this planned for months ahead of time. Mm. And uh, she's pulling in behind me in the driveway of her new house. Oh, the the lady, the sales agents there, by the 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 sign that says "sold" with the keys. I'm looking at the rearview mirror. My mom almost rear ends me because she's like, yeah. got this little little two-story uh, beach bungalow on the beach in Saint Petersburg, and as the lady's handing over the keys, she, it was like Niagara Falls, Ed.
0: Oh, that's she so. She cried.
1: I cried. And. And even the agent was crying.
0: That's right? so cool. So, you know so why I'm glad doing. you're saying this? Because on my show, we don't get to the actual stories like this often enough yeah. for like, this is the payoff. This is right. the moment. Like, I know people are driving, or they're watching this, or they're working out. And like they're picturing that moment for their mom, their kids, their parents, You know, their siblings, whatever it is. And that's why it's worth hitting those 200 swings every day. That's why it's worth, by the way, you parents, Investing in your kid's dreams like your mom did or your, your, your grandparents did there too. like That's just beautiful. I want to ask you something though, because my favorite part about you isn't that you were a great baseball player. Because I don't think that's the most remarkable thing about you, even though if you took the percentages of people who have achieved what you've achieved, there's very few people walking on the earth. Like right now, I don't know the number. You probably do. How many people currently alive on earth have hit 240 or more home runs in the big leagues? I mean,
1: well, I, th- I think there was something that, was, that kind of blew me away. Mm-hmm. i retired, I didn't really realize this. Mm-hmm. Th- you know, like you said, I'd hit mm-hmm. 242 home runs in my career. And I and I think it's something like I'm top 350 something of all time to hit home runs. Is that amazing? Like, I thought to myself, out of all the people that have ever been born, is that amazing? And, and the, the amount of jobs that are in the big leagues from, I mean, if you really look at it, there's only 750 jobs a year yes. for, for the big leagues. And right. Just the, the, the small percentage of uh, to make it the big leagues, and I remember, uh, I think it was, uh, I heard this from Les Brown or some mm-hmm. some motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was from. He's like, uh, if the dream is big enough, the odds don't matter.
0: That's so right? Good. And I
1: love that's one of my favorite quotes I because
0: that. that was literally looking back at my life. That was kind of where went at it and who thinks by the way that one of these 350 people that have ever walked the earth is this kid whose dad shot and killed when he's six years old 1000 with one us thousand. isn't that amazing You can one come thousand. from anywhere and accomplish something in your life however I want to go somewhere because this is the part where I think you're gonna help the most people right. this is the this is the thing that made me want you really badly on mm-hmm. the show is that I think things happen in our childhood whether we understand them or not they shape us mm-hmm. in some way shape or form and I think most people think, if I could just get this dream achieved, right. I can make that money. I can do this for my mom, which is a beautiful moment. I can do this for myself. I can achieve the top of my industry, which in your industry is one of the most difficult in the world to become the top of, that everything else in my life is going to be great. Right. That I don't have to work on any other parts of things that bother me or that depress me or that hold me back. I don't have to work on my mental health, which we're going to talk a little bit about kind of mental health here a little bit, everybody to some extent, I have my issues with it. There's the secret, people ask me, what's the number one thing that surprised you that all your guests have in common that are on your show? Oh, it's, it's, it, it's the it, mental health aspect, is. right? It yeah. is, and they, I'll say one is, that obviously I knew they were obsessed and worked hard. The thing that surprised me is the percentage of them to some extent that still struggle with finding happiness, with right. finding peace, with mental health issues. Like, that's the part that surprised me the most. I thought, well, and I should have known better, but these mega achievers, they found happiness automatically because they've achieved things and that's not always the case. So would you share a little bit about when you were playing and just overall struggles you've had with just happiness, mental health in general? Well, it was interesting because in 2010,
1: you know, after we won this World Series, Mm -hmm. um, I'm literally waking up the next day next to my wife at the time. And I look her dead in the eye as we're rolling over waking up and she's like, wow, you gotta be so proud, you gotta be amazing. And I looked her dead in the eye and I go, huh, now what? Mm. I was 35 years old. I'd accomplished everything I'd ever wanted in my life. I won a World Series, made millions of dollars, beautiful wife, kids, all the toys, the gadgets, but deep down inside, I was still unfulfilled. I chased a dream for my whole life and now it's achieved, and now what? Mm. So there was this, that identity of what I'm yes. chasing anymore was gone. Yes. And so after that moment, I, I went on a bender of Adderall, mm-hmm. booze, just to try and f- to, to numb that pain mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I ended up in rehab mm-hmm. in 2010. Where Same year you win the World Series. That, that off season. Where okay. there's kids in there they are 15 years old with needles in their arms. And mm. I mean, people with really a pro- lot of problems. I didn't think I had a problem, but mm. I knew I needed some help. And so I was masking a lot of internal pain. I had mm. everything, yeah. right? Everything. And so it was a de- right from then, after I won that World Series, I retired in 2012. Mm. Interestingly enough, we won the World Series in 2012. Yeah. But that whole season, I was a ghost and mm. I was, uh, having anxiety attacks every single day in the clubhouse. I mm. couldn't play, I was put on the 60-day DL. Mm. I was basically staying home on road trips because I couldn't travel, I couldn't get miss. on an airplane.
0: Didn't you have one event, if you don't mind me interrupting, Absolutely. was the first big one, you Absolutely. literally took off? It right? was
1: 2011, I'm in New York. It mm. was about three in the morning, and uh, I had to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. went to go take a piss, you know? Mm-hmm. Come back out, and the room started shrinking in on me. Mm. My heart started racing. It felt like my, I was sweating, but yet I was freezing. Mm. Right? It was weird, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, Oh, I just went on a t- probably had 12 beers that night and 15 yeah. shots too, so right. I probably didn't help my situation. Sure, sure. And uh, so the room's closing in, I'm like, oh gosh, I think I'm having a heart attack. That's the first thing that went sure. in my mind. No way I'm going to die in this hotel room. It's mm. 3 in the morning, we're in New York, and I pack my bag. Right then and there, I zip it up and I just go full, full from the clothes I had on the night before, smelling like booze and mm. just gross. Mm. Get in the cab, go to the airport, and I'm literally getting a ticket to Tampa to go see my family. Wow. Now, as I'm going through this, I'm still freaking out. Mm. Heart's racing, I'm dripping sweat. The lady at the counter's like, you okay, sir? I'm like, mm. yeah, I think so. I think so, just trying to get through it. Yeah. I'm at the gate waiting <clears throat> to get on, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. get on the plane, and I'm sitting there with my feet up on the wall, on the ground, trying to maintain some kind of you mm. know, calmness, couldn't do it. Wow. And as I boarded the plane, the door slammed and it went into overdrive. And now I'm like white nothing on the seats. We're not even moving yet. And I'm like, how do I get off this plane? How do I get off this plane? Wow. And as we start to land um, in Tampa, finally, with a jacket over my, all the air jumping on me. I mean, I had to calm down some way. Mm. I see the sun come up in Tampa as I'm about to land. I started calming down. And I was like, what the hell was that? Wow. Had no clue. I land there and my, my, my wife was like, what are you doing here? Mm. And I had to call the team and say, hey, I don't know what happened, family emergency, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of lied about it. Yeah. The next day, I'm packing to go back to Cincinnati where they're going for the next trip. And as I'm packing my bag, it was happening again. Man. And I'm like, okay, f- I'm staying. Mm-hmm. So I called my trainers. They put me into a, um, uh, with a therapist. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder, the mm-hmm. whole deal.
0: And from that moment on, it was like a, that, I was a ghost the rest of my career. The rest of your career. Yeah. This is, uh, by the way, it takes a strong man to share this. Yeah. And I know you've shared it before, but not maybe- It's never quick. easy. Yeah, and, and to an audience this large too, and and um, I really respect that. And I, I think that, you know, everybody, when there's these issues that you have in your life that are there, I asked you off camera, did you have this anxiety just that first time? He said, no, it was always sort of there, but right. it, it just sort of eventually reared its head big time. And so, you know, everybody, if your identity is tied up in I've done podcasts on this, but if your identities are tied up in your money, your relationship, your achievements, your body, these other things, if you link your identity to these things, you have to eventually just love you. You have to care for you. You have to become at some kind of peace with you. These external things eventually wear out in your identity. I'm curious, though, um, you had the Adderall thing going pretty good there for a while. And it led to an event, I I just want everyone to hear this, because I think most people listening to this, I think most people struggle with happiness. And so that could be caused all the way to what we want to call full-blown depression, to anxiety, to just they're down, they're lethargic, they're melancholy, they're frustrated, they're scared. There's all these negative mental emotions we all have. They're worried. (laughs) I suffer from all of them at some time Mm. or another. But for you, this thing kind of got worse and worse and worse till you found yourself at one point and you'd retired. Yeah, I was
1: was retired. we just won the World Series in 2012. We swept the Tigers in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I didn't play one at bat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was basically done. Mm -hmm. And so I walked off that field that day, I'm done. I'm gonna Mm -hmm. raise my kids who at the time were four and two, I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna ride off in the sunset. Anxiety, depression's gone. enjoy the fruits of my labor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that easy, man. I got mm-hmm. out and, and uh, for the next two years, I was sporadically having panic attacks and, and mm-hmm. just kept going and kept going. And then, with the, along with the panic attacks, depression started sitting in. Mm-hmm. I would have, waiting for that daily panic attack during the day, there was a moment where there was a time in my life where I couldn't get on my bike to go ride it around on the beach because I was afraid to get a panic attack on my bike. Oh gosh. Um, I've called the ambulance three times mm-hmm. to come pick me up to check me out to see because I thought I was dying. Um, and then as the night, days would go and I'd have my daily panic attack, I'd find myself in the closet every day, just depressed, like staring at the mirror, which is interesting because in 2014 I'd had enough. I've mm. been two years out of the game and my wife was cooking dinner in the kitchen in mm. San Diego. I was cutting vegetables, my kids are playing Legos, mm. and all of a sudden, here goes that heart race again. Here comes that panic attack. I'm like, ah. I'd had enough. Mm. So I retreated in my room, Um, I I went to my closet, and in my closet I have a safe, I hit the code, I pulled out my gun. And at the time, I was wearing a wife beater, I had the shaved head, the goatee, the tattoos. Mm. I looked like a tough son of a bitch, but I was scared to death inside, right? Mm. And I had this full-length mirror in my closet, and I'd hit my knees with that gun in my hand, and I was desperate, man, I was tired of feeling that way. Um, I pulled the hammer back, and I put it here, and I'm looking right in that mirror, and I'm crying. Just crying, all I have to do is pull it, and it would be all over with. And it was in that moment where I was thinking to myself, as I'm looking at that gun in the mirror, that I freaked out. Put it down, that same 57 Magnum I had in my hand, my dad was murdered by. That same caliber weapon. And so, man, talk about full circle in life. It was, that, it was like a godly universal wake-up call. I was like, hold, hold on, dude. Yeah. You know, this is not gonna be easy. You're gonna have to battle, but you're gonna get through this. Oh my God. So I put that, that uh, gun down I, I said a prayer to god and mm. from that moment on it took some time and mm. i think that's what people need to know mm. when they're going through anxiety and depression it doesn't happen overnight mm. right there's certain steps i had to take mm. it probably took about two good years for me to really get to the point in my life where i'm comfortable sharing these things with people sure. um, because there was times when i would try and talk about it and i just couldn't but mm. i think for me to heal was diet, it was exercise, it was taking care of how I uh, myself from drinking aspect, kind of cut down mm-hmm. on that. Obviously the pills were gone, but I think more importantly anything is that the ability to be vulnerable enough mm-hmm. to go out there and tell people about it and talk about it. Because mm-hmm. when you talk about these things, mm-hmm. you, it no longer holds power over you. And so once I was able to say, you know what, this does not scare me, it does not shame me anymore mm-hmm. for the people out there that are driving, listening to this. Dude, if you're struggling with this and you don't let anybody know it's going to eat you alive mm. you got to let it out mm. you've got to talk about it and you got to be vulnerable with it mm. to the people you love the most your mm. wife and kids and i you know i, I unfortunately i got divorced mm. last year yeah and a lot of it was not because of my wife it was because of my issues that i've had was mm. so bad yep. it was hard for her to get over
0: it let's was, stay on there for a second yeah. um i'm so grateful for you bro thanks bro uh because you're helping them helping millions of people and I want everyone to picture this again. You've got millions of dollars in the bank, beautiful family, and you're set for the rest of your life, great home, you can do whatever you want all day long. And this is what I want everybody to hear. You think your job's stressing you, or you think it's the person in your life that's stressing you, but what happens is we get go-to emotions in our life that we become addicted to. If one of your emotions is anxiety or stress or fear, the thing you're using right now to give you that emotion may be your career, like you were in baseball. Mm -hmm. It may be another person you think, well, if I switch careers or I switch the person, I'll lose that addiction to the emotion. You don't. You find another place to generate the same emotion. So it may move from your career to a person, to your money. So the the thing to be aware of is that you're addicted to that emotion. You're addicted to how that makes you feel. There's a pattern you're running. So the anxiety wasn't just your career because you took the career away, the anxiety was still there. The depression was still there. This is a powerful thing for everybody to understand. The second thing I'd ask you though, so I want you to be aware of that. I agree with you that the awareness and the talking about it helps it lose a lot of its power over you. And ask for help. Talk to people. Mental health, everybody, is become something that is not this taboo thing anymore. Okay? It's just like ha- it, it, mental health is the same as you've got an injured knee and injured back and injured. It's an injury to you. It's something that if you talk about and get help, you can heal. And so I want to, and by the way, some of you that think that, well, I'm using medications or alcohol, okay, oftentimes those are masking agents, and I just want everybody to understand this when you remove that drug or that alcohol, Sometimes this monster that's hurting you is bigger now because the masking is gone and you're gonna need to deal with it eventually. So could you take them through a couple other things? If you were given, someone's listening saying, I'm somewhere from totally depressed with the 357 at my head, Mm -hmm. to I'm just bummed out a lot and I'm not happy. What were some of the steps you did take, talking about it, sharing with other people? Was there something you did, therapy, faith? You said diet, anything you'd share well, specifically.
1: Think, <clears throat> the one, the one thing that I did right out of the gate first and foremost was I would wake up in the morning early before everybody got up, before mm-hmm. the kids got up and the craziness of my day started, mm-hmm. and I'd give myself an hour to, uh, whether it's reading the Bible or, or reading a, a self-help book of mm-hmm. some sort, just to get my mind in a positive frame right out of the gate in the morning. Okay. Um, you know, I, then I would get my kids off to school. Um, you know, My wife at the time would go do what she does, and, mm-hmm. and then I would go to the gym. And at the time, I was watching so many YouTube videos on motivation. I wish Mm -hmm. I I saw you back in the day. I would have put you (laughs) on there, but uh, so I had all these YouTube videos. that were like downloaded on like a MP3 in my, you Mm -hmm. know, so I could listen to it while I worked out. I wouldn't even listen to music. Mm -hmm. I was listening to positive, encouraging, Mm -hmm. uh, motivating talks with Mm -hmm. a little inspirational background music Mm -hmm. with guys like, uh, you know, Les Brown, Tony Robbins, your boy. And uh, guys like that, and I would just work out as I'm rewiring my brain with the endorphins naturally from working out. Yes. And that positive, uh, that positive talk is going on my head all the time. Mm. And um, along with diet, and so I I went on this incredible just like journey the last next two years. Mm. But I will say this: Mm -hmm. the depression was there at times. Mm -hmm. The anxiety was still there at times. The panic attacks were getting less and less and less. Okay. Uh, It wasn't daily. Mm -hmm. They started gradually going down. Um, Even today. I still have anxiety. Sure. I'm sure as you do too. I do. But it it does not overtake my life anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is so many people think that you know what, I shouldn't ever have anxiety, I shouldn't ever have mm-hmm. depression, but we all have seasons of it. Absolutely. And it's okay to accept it and say it's not, it's just a season of my life. So well and it's, said.
0: And it's not gonna control my life. The one thing I think is, and by the way, you may, if, if you have an extreme situation, there may be a chemical issue that you need to address. 1000%. For the vast majority of people, it's not that, but for there are some, and I just wanna make sure that we're clear about this, for some of you, it may be a chemical issue. For the vast majority of us, it, it's a program we're running, a pattern and what you just said is so important for the people that I've coached, that I've worked with in my life too. It will only be a constant program that keeps it at bay. In other words, when you're running a program for many years of your life, since you're a six year old boy, of course there was anxiety, even though you weren't processing it. You were running that anxiety program from the time that conversation happened about your daddy to, to this day. And so when you run a program that repetitively over and over again, don't ever think, I got it, it's gone, I'll never have it again. The thing that keeps it at bay is running a program in reverse, whether that's someone who drinks and they're in a 12-step pro, program they run over and over, whether it's meditation or working out or the fitness. You better keep a program or it's going to rear its head again. It's part of your programming now. I just don't want people to think, I got it licked.
1: Well, I think that's important you said too, because a lot of people think that, you know what, do you, they've asked me all the time, do you believe in taking pills? hmm Listen, when I first went through my anxiety depression, if I didn't have pills, I probably would have killed myself. Okay. So I needed to take something to take that edge off Mm -hmm. while I was working at myself. Mm -hmm. But eventually, Mm -hmm. I started weaning myself off on these things, you know, where it wasn't a daily take. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll skip a day, okay, I made it through that day, Mm -hmm. maybe i skip two days the next time. And Mm -hmm. then before you know it, I'm I'm free of them. you know, I'm, I'm not anti-medication because right. I think there's certain situations where people are so down and out. Yep. You know, there's no other If they're
0: thinking the way I was thinking, yep. you're better off taking that for a while just to keep Agreed. yourself running. I I, uh, I This is a really difficult topic and I'm just glad we're addressing it. I don't think your best psychologist or a self-help guy like me, I don't think anybody knows for sure where that line is. Right. I just don't. What I do know is that if that program is running, and you can't get that program to run without addressing the chemistry issues that perhaps for some of you short term, I think I'm hoping and I I believe that very few people need to be on these medications long term in their lives, but there are people who do. I have someone very dear to me who is, and they have been very functional and very happy with it. So that's a difficult issue, but the point everybody for today, because you're not two doctors sitting here today, is that this is someone who's walked it, who's lived it, who's telling you his story, how he broke the pattern, or continues to fight the pattern. If you don't mind me asking, because you're just so open, (laughs) I think when you have difficulty like this in our lives, and then like a real difficulty hits, Mm -hmm. often it can really put people what they call a relapse or a setback, you don't have to get into it too deeply, but then you've gone through the last year of divorce. Yeah, it was tough. And so how did you, did it, cause you to go backwards in your, some of these feelings? Well, here's what's what did interesting.
1: When I first got divorced, obviously it was devastating. I mm-hmm. loved my wife very much. And we tried to make it work and it just was one of those things where nobody messed around. It was just one of those things where mm-hmm. we just kind of grew apart. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I was sitting there in my apartment because I was mm-hmm. out of the house and I'm, I'm sitting there one night and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I can go really dark right now. Mm-hmm. I can go negative town because I know how to go there. Mm-hmm. And I go to the bar every night, get mm-hmm. drunk, and mm-hmm. go out and just do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Or I can take this as a time of my life to work on myself, mm. my mental, my how how I handle this situation. Because mm. I believe even negative situations mm-hmm. can be used for positive things. Sure. You know, I, be- I believe that you know just because it's a negative thing, eventually you're going to look back at it one day and realize, hey, that's that turned out to be a positive for your life. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, I said, all right, I'm going to go on this. At the time, I was about thirty pounds overweight, kind of fat. Is that now right? that, oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. I wasn't feeling all if that. If you're great. watching
0: YouTube, he certainly
1: is not now. Um, so. I went on this diet, the keto diet. Okay. I quit drinking completely. Okay. Right, and just okay. with three months of keto and completely mm-hmm. just did this whole th- transformation. Right. Mm. Lost 30 pounds in three months, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much just stayed in my house and just kind of worked on me, read, and mm-hmm. uh, play with my kids, be with my kids, coach my kids, and just become, you know, instead of going to a dark place, yeah. which a lot of guys can. And it was so mm-hmm. close for me. I was so close to doing that. Good for and, you. And I think it could. A lot of people will succumb to that, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate because. Um, You know what with my relationship with my ex-wife now Mm. it couldn't be better that's great for your kids if if i would have went on that dark side Mm -hmm. it could have ruined our relationship as co-parents it could have ruined my relationship with my kids and Mm. um i'm sitting here today proud to be the man i am and through that experience Mm. now i wouldn't wish a divorce on my worst enemy sure but uh, it was something i did go through and you know i learned a lot not only uh relationship wise but who i am as a man and who i need to be for my next partner
0: i'm real proud of you that's wonderful man that's uh, that's wonderful that you made that choice. I, I'm thinking about um, what you've said about all the mental health issues. It's just making me think. And one of the wonderful things about talking about this is I think people who have anxiety or are down or worry or have fear all the way over to the depression spectrum, I think most people think they're abnormal. Yeah. I think they think this is something not normal about me. I'm A- going through it all alone too. Alone. Yeah. And and I'm really glad you said that. And the truth of the matter is, it is normal. And you're choosing to go through it alone if you are, and you don't have to. There's so many people that want to help you. We're here to help you, my show's here to help you, Aubrey's new show's here to help you. You don't have to go through this alone. There are people you could reach out to by phone, by text, who love you more than you realize. And it's not that I'm giving you permission to live that way. I'm saying it's part of the human experience. And things happen for us, not to us. Ironically enough, as crazy as it sounds, Part of your dad being gone at six years old, as tragic as it was, happened for you and not to you 1000% from
1: the stories I've heard from my mom I Mm -hmm. love my dad
0: he actually during
1: that uh Mm -hmm. during his murder he Mm -hmm. actually pushed a woman out of the way from getting shot so he saved a life wow but uh wow yeah from from what I've been told from my mom I mean he was going through a really really tough time himself some of these same things yeah they were actually going through a divorce at the time which I didn't know wow Um, he had his demons as well Mm. so you know it may be one of those things where you know what what if what he if? Lie. And I if, wonder. I wonder if there's.
0: I and you know, I wonder if there's an element of when you lose a dad that young that you want to prove yourself, and that helped with the 200 swings a day. Mm-hmm. Do you get the batting cage if your dad's there? You know, like there's all these things that it was part of your journey. And the truth is, everything in our life happens for us, not to us, if we choose to believe that, and then we take meanings from it that serve us. And so, everyone, just be evaluating if you've got these issues, the meanings you're taking from events, right? Like an extreme situation. You and I if we walked up the street right here and there was a car accident, we watched somebody get killed, they died in arms. We'd both, our meaning would be this was tragic. Right. That's an extreme example. Mother Teresa said the most blissful great moments, honoring moments of her life were that she could be with someone as they were passing, mm. that she could be there as their soul transitioned. So same event, two different meanings and that's right. an extreme event, right? So evaluate the meanings you take because you did that in your apartment. This divorce could mean this, where I go dark, or it could mean this, where I work on myself. And that meaning you took, caused you to take the better action. So I know we're going deep here today, but this is, did you think you'd be with an MLB player who mashed on TV for 13 years and be talking about these well, issues? Well, that's the thing,
1: man, because I think it's so important. That's part of my healing as a professional athlete, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you played ball, and yep. you, so you get it. You're taught as a kid, as you've grown up, to put this mask on, nothing can get in your head. Nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody can hurt you. And no matter what, like that pitcher is not going to see me being afraid. Yeah. Right? And so when you take, it's very hard for an athlete to take that mentality of Mm -hmm. being a warrior, not being afraid, and then take it into your home life. Yeah. You just, it's hard to switch that off, right? Mm. To be vulnerable with your wife, to be mm. vulnerable with your kids. Mm. And because it's, it's by no fault of our own, we just don't even realize that we are just naturally trained mm. to be that kind of person, to be so shut down from emotion. Yes. Because, I mean, we can't, the media is at you 24-7. Mm. You know, the fans are at you 24-7. So you build this wall around you, and it's so hard to get rid of that wall, especially mm. for the people you love the most. And that's the people that are coming on my pod- podcast, some mm. of the ex-athletes and some of the current athletes. I want to stress to them. Lean on those people that have loved you the most out of mm. the game or while you're playing because those are going to be the people that will be with you when you're done with the game. Because, I mean, that's mm. when you're done with the game, it's done with you like that. There's no gradual send off, it stops like that. You stop hearing from teammates, you stop hearing from your organization, you stop hearing from. Fans forget about you. That identity that we talked about yes. earlier is stripped. Yes. And so it's a tough transition. So we touch a lot on that with my new podcast. And, mm. and I love talking about this How do they get the podcast?
0: Let's, let's get them to find yeah. you. Where do they go to find you on Instagram and on your podcast? So Instagram, or, or Twitter, I'm, wherever you yeah, want to Yeah, I'm on find
1: Instagram at, at huffdaddy76. Okay. I'm at Twitter at Aubrey underscore huff. Okay. But my, um, my podcast is called Off the Cuff with Aubrey Huff. And it's Good. on just launched last week okay. so my first two episodes are up they're okay. on iTunes right now that's okay. gonna be on stitcher Google music here soon okay but I think Apple's it's like 90% of Lester's anyway but it was but
0: there. we'll put all of those links up on the screen right, on YouTube as well speaking of the identity we got a couple more minutes I've enjoyed this it's like flying by it is because it there's not been a wasted second right and what that was both of our goals before we started <laughs> let's like let's just get into the great stuff but I, I do want to ask you about this idea because you said like your MLB career you know that I work with a lot of athletes It is dramatic from being the center of the universe and attention to not a lot and that fall off. Can also happen when you're in a relationship and you get a divorce, it probably happened with you too. All of a sudden an entire set of friends may not any longer be in your life again. Or you leave a career or you have a business failure that sets back. How have you been able to kind of like remake your identity a lot of people out there. If you're right now, like they're like, I don't like my current identity. I'd like to remake me. Mm-hmm. How have you started that? I'm watching you do it. This yeah. is this is not the same guy who was playing in 2008, yeah. right? It's, it, there's a different person here, a better version of him. How,
1: how well, have you done Ed, that? Ed, I'm still working on it. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So when you get out, I threw my hat in so many different arenas, right? I did the 95.7 The Game up in San Francisco, where I wake up at four in the morning, talk from six to ten, drive about sports, 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 mm-hmm. Warriors, Giants, the whole deal. I found that very negative. It was mm-hmm. a very negative world because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people want to hear the trash, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't last very long there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went into network marketing. I know you've had your spin with network yep. marketing. I definitely see the value of network mm-hmm. marketing. Sure. I just didn't want to be on the phone all the day. All yep. day right? So it wasn't your thing. It wasn't my thing. And so yep. I did that. Um, I even took a spin at acting. Okay. And hell, I even tried to make a comeback with baseball because That's my, right. my, my my identity was so tied up in being a baseball mm-hmm. player. That's all I knew. I was mm-hmm. so desperate to come back at 40. Mm-hmm. And I made it. Started making a comeback, and people thought I was losing my marbles. Mm. I think I was. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you know, you just try so hard as an athlete to try and mm. to to replace that identity that you were for so long. Yep. And then there has to become a time where I think in the last couple of years I've done that. Where I'm like, you know what? I was blessed to have the life i've had yeah let's move on Mm. let's raise my kids Mm. and let's give back to other people what you've learned in your life because it was so much about me Mm. for so long when i got what am i going to do what am i going to do in my life am i going to do this how am i going to be relevant again and then all of a sudden the last years I, you know what let's get this story out there's a reason i went through all this stuff the tragedy in my life the divorce all this stuff that's coming i think it's an unbelievable story for people to hear so if i can let that out and let people out there know that that uh, they're not alone in their struggles. man. That's that's a a big purpose, that's my new
0: identity. So that's right, you you, you just crushed that. So let me say my version of that to you because I think it's perfect what you just said. The way that you begin to change your identity is exactly what Aubrey just said. And what it is is that you use, you find now at this stage of your life what your calling and your purpose is. The irony is your baseball career wasn't your calling. The irony is the mosaic, the story of your life from that six-year-old incident all the way up to now has put you in now to your purpose you're in the prime of your life you're using your story Mm -hmm. and your purpose and also your natural giftedness you're articulate right you have a great voice the way you when you tell a story i can picture you running around the bases and so that's that's why this is your time and for those of you listening to this the pathway to that new identity is finding your new purpose your new calling that will and it'll always be towards the contribution of other people, using either your story or your giftedness, your natural giftedness to that end. You've heard me say this in my pockets, whether it's your math skills, your speaking skills, your art skills, your nurturing skills, listening skills, compassion, passion, intensity, your concern, your love, your faith, whatever those giftednesses are in the service of other people, that's how you build that new identity. You crush 1,000%. that right there. You crush that right there. All right, last question for you. Um, by the way, I've enjoyed today tremendously I have too, and, and I can't wait to share this with the world. Like this is going to, it's an overused term, change people's lives, but it's, uh, but this is going to change some lives. This may even save a couple lives. Yeah. I like getting soulful, man. Yeah. And you, yes, you, you definitely, you <laughs> definitely did that. So the last thing I ask a lot of my guests this, and so you've made the other thing about you that's remarkable. And I don't want to lose it in the conversation about all this other stuff is you've achieved at the highest levels mm-hmm. in your life. like way, way up there, one of 350 people ever to walk the earth, probably one of 100 or 150 people currently living to do what you've done. That's a remarkable achievement around the world. Baseball's a global game. The Dominican market is so big in baseball now, like around the world, you're one of 150 people probably actively living to do what you've done. So there's people watching this and listening to say, I wanna make my dream come true. You know, I want to I want to enter that season of my life where I get to do that stuff for my mom. Yeah. I get to do that stuff for my kids. I get to do something even for myself. What would your advice be towards chasing that dream and creating a transformation? They're not on the path they need to be right now. And Aubrey Huff had a cup of coffee with you for a couple minutes. You say, "Hey, man," or "Hey, lady," consider these couple things. This will help you chase your dream.
1: Well, I think it's uh, I think it's just you have to sacrifice. You know, you mm. got to sacrifice a, a lot of your time to do what you really love. And and what I what I hate. I coach my kids, right? They're yeah. 10 and 8 years old. You're doing old. it today. And, I, and, I, and I, um, I'm really active in their lives, and I want mm. them to be the best men they can be. And, and I don't necessarily care if they play professional baseball, whatever it is they want to do. I want to, I want to be passionate about what they love. Mm. But I always tell them, and I think this goes for everybody. And, and I can't stand when I hear somebody say, you know, I've had coaches tell me this growing up better have a backup plan, a plan B, or plan C. To me, that's an easy way out. That's a Mm -hmm. cop out, right? Mm -hmm. I knew, like I told you, Mm -hmm. I knew like I knew like I knew I was gonna be a Major League Baseball player. And that was my plan A. I didn't have a backup plan. If Mm -hmm. I didn't make a Major League Baseball, I don't know. It didn't Ah. matter. I knew it. I had this delusional quality Mm because I I was in high school. I hit 300 with one home run my senior year. Man! Not necessarily the stats of a future professional baseball player. I had to walk onto a junior college, gain 20 pounds of muscle, hit a Grosberg, hit 17 bombs, went to University of Miami, made All-American, it took off. Many people would have quit mm. in high school and gave up. Mm. I still had a delusional dream in myself and I mm. knew that I was going if I had a backup plan I would not have Shoot. I would not have went to junior college to walk mm. on. So to me, take that dream, that that A plus dream in your heart and if you love it, chase it. It may not work
0: out immediately. But it will eventually if you give everything you got to. Brother, that was gold. I just released it. This won't come out simultaneous, but I released today Mm -hmm. my interview. I was telling you I've only chased one guy, which is Sebastian Maniscalco, to do my show. His point of the whole interview was I had no plan B. I was going to be a famous stand-up comedian. There was no plan B. There was no five-year plan. I was going to go work at Motorola. I was going to do this. You burn the bridge. Mm -hmm. You get on the other side of your dream, you burn the bridge, and you just pay the price until the dream happens. I love that. That was so good, brother. Thank you so much yeah, for nice having me
1: on, man. It's been a pleasure, brother. This that was is, fun. It was fun. It, was, it flew by. I it can't did, even get it over did. it. It's Thank
0: it. you. Yeah, man. Make sure you're following Aubrey's podcast, following him on social media. And hey, if you're listening to this, you probably follow me. But if you're not, follow me on Instagram and turn your notifications on. Because I built this show and I built my programs, all of them, to help contribute to your life. I'm in that season of my life where I want to serve as well. So I created the max out two-minute drill on Instagram, which means this. I want to engage with you. So there's three ways to win. Number one, when I make a post on my main feed, if you make a comment within the first two minutes, and make it a good comment, you can win. If you miss the first two minutes, make a comment on someone else's comment, so I see you collaborating and communicating together. Or third, just make a comment on, this is the main feed, on every post I make every day, and we add up at the end of the week, anyone who posts at any time, eight hours later, nine hours later, 10 hours later, if you just post every single day a comment, we pick a winner from there as well. And the winners win all kinds of cool stuff. Ride on my private jet, tickets to see me speak, coaching calls with my guests, max out gear, my book, you name it. So engage with me there. I wanna connect with you in the max out two minute drill and learn more about you and help you make your dreams come true. So please do that every day. I post between 7.30 and 8 a.m. Pacific time, which is 10.30 and 11 Eastern, so you'll know when I'm coming. All right, everybody, God bless you and max out your life.
1: This is the End Miner.